We're going to begin reading our text in verse 1 of Daniel chapter number 6. And as we have each night, read the entirety of it. The scripture said, And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give an account unto them, the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, counselors, captains have consulted together to establish a royal decree, a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he should be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. And his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, 
Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him and his sleep went from him. And the king arose early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And everybody is listening silently around the den. I added that. Because I'm sure they were all curious. Then said Daniel unto the king, <laughs> O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before thee O king have I done no hurt then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God and the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel. They cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed in his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. We laid a foundation for the messages this week by pointing you to three different texts. One in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 24 and 25 where the three Hebrew children were cast into the, ferny, uh, the fiery furnace and the king said uh, did we not cast three men in they said that's true king he said well I'm having a problem either my math's wrong or my eyes are fooling me there's four in there and he said the fourth is like the son of God whom we believe to be the first and so I asked the question, and I say this for the sake of the visitors tonight, I asked the question to this congregation so they could help me. Who is this one who is like the Son of God? And you answered and told me it was Jesus. Jesus. And I agreed with you. And then we uh, looked over in Daniel chapter number 7, verse 13 and 14, at the dream that 
Daniel has, or the vision, and he saw in that night vision, behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him, and there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So I asked the congregation, who is this that shall have an everlasting kingdom that all nations will have to bow to? And you said it was? Jesus. Jesus. And then in chapter number 9 and verse number 26, and you yourself can search out other texts in here where you see this, but Daniel speaks and says, and after verse 26, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. And I ask you, who is the Messiah? And you said it is And so I didn't tell you, you told me. And based upon what you told me, uh, I have preached this week on this subject, Jesus is in Babylon. Thank God. I realize that it might have been a little more exciting if I'd have slipped over into the latter part of the book of Daniel and gave you my views on the prophetical elements concerning the coming of Christ. (laughs) But Jesus sent me to tell you this week, not that he's coming, but that he's here. Now, I think there's a time and a place to preach on his coming because he is coming. But honey, the fact that he's coming ain't going to help you today. If you can't find him here. Amen. <laughs> I have great hope and consolation in his coming. Yeah. <laughs> but I need him now. Amen. Don't you? Amen. I am glad that he is here. And we've noticed, we noticed uh, that, that Jesus, thank God, is in Babylon in chapter 1. As Daniel is uprooted, he is, he is moved to Babylon. We saw how that Jesus is even in the movements of Babylon. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that actually moved him, but the Lord gave Jerusalem into the hands of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And I tell you, there are times in our lives where God's interested in moving us from where we are to where he's at. Amen. He wants to move us. And then in chapter number two, we saw that, that this place, Babylon, was filled with mysteries. And there are times that God will bring us to the point of where we just can't figure things out. Not so that he can give us some big theory or explanation, but in the midst of the mystery and upon the backgrounds of that which we do not understand, he can reveal himself to us. And he alone becomes the answer to our lives. Then last night we noticed that there are the methods of Babylon of which it tries to push Christ out of our lives and becomes uh, Babylon tries to become the obstacle to our lives but somehow Christ is even able to get into these to these methods of this old world I thought about uh, several in the word of God of course I I thought about Joseph and how how his brethren methodically had him uh, sold and and he ended up in, in, uh, in Egypt But honey, I want you to know God had a throne for him 
in Egypt, and that's the reason why I had him sent down there. And so it is in your life and in my life. Uh, the methods of this old world, boy, they, they, they have their ways. But I'm glad that Christ is able to get in the midst of it. But tonight I want us to look for just a few moments in Daniel chapter number 6. And I want us to notice how that Christ is in what I call the mandates of Babylon. Now I use the word mandate and of course that word mandate means law. Uh, it means decrees, it means statutes and so on. And Daniel chapter number 6 lends itself to this thought of a legal matter, of a, of a passing of a, of a law. All the way through, and it's not only in Daniel chapter number 6, but it's throughout the book of Daniel. These, boy, I'm going to tell you, these, uh, these folks, they, they like to pass laws. By the way, I understand that Daniel in chapter number 6 is not in Babylon now. He's under the rule of the Medes and Persians. <laughs> but I want to say to you that a skunk any, under any other name is still a skunk and it stinks. I don't care what you call it. And so it is with this old world, whether you're in Babylon or whether you're in the Medes and Persians or whether you're in Greece or whether you're in Rome or whether you're in Alvin, Texas or Houston, Texas or Charlotte, North Carolina, it's still the world. Amen. You're just in a different sector or section of the world and it still has the same spirit. Maybe not on the same measurement, on the same level or on the same size, but it's still the world. Amen. And so he's over here. And in the midst of it, he begins to see that there are laws. They're, they're written on down, all, all the way down through here. It is mentioned. Uh, that they get together and they, they, they say to, uh, in verse 5, the only way we're going to get this bird and bring him down is against the law of his God. And uh, so they come together and they say to the king, O oh, king, establish a decree in verse 8 and sign a writing according to the laws of the Medes and Persians which ordereth not... Uh, we want you to make some laws. We want you to sign some laws. We want you to create some laws, some mandates. Some mandates, if you will. Now, I want us to look at these mandates, these laws that we have to live under in this world, all of us, whether you're saved tonight or whether you're not saved, whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ, there's still some laws that we're all operating under. Uh, I want us to look at this. And by the way, I would like to say to you, as far as being God's children, uh, we're not in the business of passing laws. That's up to this old world. Uh, matter of fact, I got to noticing that when Daniel got in control on several occasions where he was promoted as he was in this text uh, uh, under the Medes and Persians to be the number one president and of course how he was promoted under Nebuchadnezzar that in each case when he was put in the high spot 
He had an opportunity to influence the laws of the land and he could have began to push the laws to try to change this world so it looks more like the world he come from. Let's pass us a bunch of laws over here and maybe through our laws we can do away with all this paganism and we can just create Jerusalem in the Babylon. I understand that as God's people, we there are certain guidelines and standards that we operate by, but honey, you don't want no more laws than what you have to have. That's not our job. Because I notice in the text that the law you live by is the law you're going to die by. It was that same outfit that had the laws passed that got thrown in neat up by the lions. <laughs> if it had any sense, they'd left that law alone. <laughs> Leave that alone. I find across this country that churches and God's people think that the more laws they've got, the more spiritual they are. Honey, them laws ain't going to get you to Jesus. You got any hope, he better show up. All them laws are going to do is kill you. But I want you to notice three things about uh, this this matter of, uh, of the mandates or the laws of Babylon. I really want to emphasize that last thought, so I'm just going to highlight these because I'm interested in how Jesus could get into this matter of the mandates and the laws of Babylon. I notice in my text, first of all, just by way of passing, that there are the laws that we have to face in life, as I've emphasized. In verse 1 down through verse number 12, we, th- we see three aspects of the laws that we have to face. First of all, there are the cautious laws of creation. That's found in verse number 7 and also in verse number 12. The cautious laws of creation. Uh, This, of course, uh, has to do with when God created this old world, he put some laws in it. One is the law of gravity. You and I, as God's people, just because we're saved don't mean that we can contradict the laws of gravity. I had a first cousin that tried it. He got upon my uncle's store, got his mama's umbrella. It was a big one. He said, watch, and he jumped. He come down like a lead balloon, broke his leg. The law of gravity. You don't wanna you don't wanna fool with that. I'm talking about the laws that God instituted in creation. You don't want to drink poison. <laughs> It'll kill you. I don't care who you are. You don't want to fool around with rattlesnakes. I mistakenly went to a church that I thought I was supposed to preach a meeting in, didn't notice the name, the, the full name on the sign. Part of the name was the same as the church I was supposed to preach in, but it was a mile down the road. I got in there sitting around, they had some strange looking boxes. I'd heard about some of that. And boy, they's getting stirred up. I was afraid they was going to go for the boxes, and then it dawned on me I was in the wrong place. <laughs> I tailed it out of there. I don't want to. You can handle all the snakes you want to. That's your business. I ain't going to have nothing to do with them. Oh, 
And I tell you, that's that animal nature. That's that created nature that we all have to confront. We all have to live under the forces of creation, the cautious laws. And it's illustrated here in that Daniel is going to have to face the lions. You know what lions do, don't you? They eat you. And uh, so he's, he's having to face that, just like everybody else has to face that. That's the, the cautious laws. Of, I'm talking about the laws we have to face. And then there's the common laws that are created. In verse number 8 and 9, as I, ra- I read to you, he said, Give us some laws. Establish us some decrees. Give us some legislation. So they started, uh, they started creating some uh, common laws. And of course, we have many laws today that have been created by man. They're not all bad. Many of them are good. I thank God for many of them. I'm, I appreciate the, the laws concerning the speed limit. It protects us. I'm glad that there's a law that says you can't break into your neighbor's house and steal what he's got. I got a few things back there in Boone. I don't want anybody to break in and steal them. I appreciate many of the laws that, uh, that we have to abide by to have a country and a society. There has to be legal laws to control that society. Thank God for them. We praise God for them. But sometimes they, they stretch beyond the limit of, of common sense as far as the laws are concerned. But men always love to make laws. As a matter of fact, and some of you may be able to help me with this. If you can, email it to me. Uh, I have tried and I've asked folks, if, if, and, and I have searched diligently to see if I can find the number of laws that we have on the books today in America. Do you know the computers are so swift that they can count just about anything, but you ain't got a computer big enough to log all the laws that are across. I haven't been able to find the number of laws. It might do you well just to go to Alvin and see if you can find out how many laws have been put on the book since this place become a town. (laughs) You'd be surprised. (laughs) And you'd be surprised how stupid some of them are too. I don't have the list with me, but I did get on the computer and see if I could find some of them. They have, uh, they have uh, stupid laws. I think it comes under that section. And in one place, there's a law that you can't, uh, a law against uh, having an ice cream cone in your back pocket. <laughs> in another place, and this was, I think in Georgia, it was, uh, it was illegal to tie a giraffe to a telephone pole. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just many, many laws that really don't make, uh, don't make sense. One of them I, I thought was pretty good said it was a law to wear a, uh, it was illegal to wear a fake mustache to church. <laughs> and on and on. There were many of these laws that are still on the books. They've not been done away with. <laughs> Men love to make laws, but I'm going to tell you, uh, we're, we're so, uh, we are so human that these laws many times are revealed. Uh, it reveals the fact of how human we are. For instance, let me say this and I move on. Uh, we hear all the time about, and I know this, we wouldn't have any problem with this here tonight. We hear about a, 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 a woman's rights. Or a woman's choice in abortion. They, Larry King said it the other night. Shouldn't a woman have a choice 
as to what she wanted to do with her own body if she wanted to have an abortion. I'm just, my skin's crawling when he says that. I'm saying, well, I just wish I could. I wish I, I want to say, Larry, did you know a woman with her own body does not have the choice to get in her vehicle and drive one mile without a seatbelt? Right. You don't have the liberty to take your body and set it in a car and ride a mile without a seatbelt when it ain't going to hurt anybody else. But yet they want to give the legal right for a woman to go into her body and destroy life. I call that stupid. Or I call it satanic. I call it man's law. So these are some of the laws that we face. But the, but the law that catches Daniel is what I call the carnal laws of the creature. I notice in our text that the reason why this law was passed in verse 5 said, Shall we uh, find occasion against Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God? There was jealousy in their hearts. There was envy in their hearts. There was a desire to murder and even to kill to be able to reach the position of which Daniel uh, had and occupied in that day and they were going to do whatever it would take to have him removed and even murdered. And so they began to appeal and lobby for a law that would affect Daniel, yea, even destroy him. That's the carnal law of the degenerate heart. Well, that's a law that is within all of us, that functions within all of us. The battle of the carnal fleshly law that becomes jealous and envious and even murderous is full of hate. Man is so corrupt. And it is that that we have to operate under the, 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 the flesh taking over in our lives and then realizing that sometimes it takes over in someone else's life and we find ourselves attacking others and others attacking us. It's, it's around everywhere. That's what war is all about. Amen. These are laws that we live under, that we face daily and that we battle with. And as Daniel's world was filled with these laws, even so our world is filled. But you know, there's another law that is found in our text and in Daniel's world. Not only the laws that we face, but there is a higher law that David, that Daniel seems to have uh, have. Uh, clung to and had become a part of him. If you look in verse number 23, I call it the law of faith. Romans 3, 27 said, Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. What was it that delivered Daniel and elevated him above all other laws? It is the law of faith. (laughs) Look at it in verse 23. Said in the latter part, So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him. Why? Because he did what? He believed. (laughs) 
I'm glad that one day, 36 years ago, by hearing the word of God that was ignited within me another law, a higher law than any of this world could ever give, it's called the law of faith. And operating in that law of faith, it gets me believe God for what this world cannot do and in spite of what this world may do. I've got another law working in me, a superior law. For the law, the Bible said in Romans 8, 2, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and You see, there was a day when, there was, when, when, when the lesser laws were the only laws that controlled me. There was a day of which, uh, as a young man, to be honest with you, uh, that I, on occasion or two, or maybe even more than that, the way I was raised, that if I had opportunity to steal what you had, if I wanted it, I'd steal it if I could. The only thing I was afraid of was the law that would catch me and persecute me. But then one day there was a higher law birthed within me. The law of the Spirit of Christ, a Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And honey, I'm here to tell you and say to you emphatically, they could take all the laws in all the lands off the books concerning stealing and make it legal and I still wouldn't want what belongs to you. I got a higher law in me. Called the law of faith that operates through Christ. I'm, I'm talking about laws, the laws that we face in the law of faith. It is a superior law. It is a spiritual law written upon our hearts. It is a supernatural law. The thing that brought Daniel through is his faith. He believed God. He believed God. But I said all that just to point you to this last thought. I want you to notice in this text what these laws are meant to do. I was thinking about the terminologies that uh, are used in the mentioning of these laws. Again, they are called laws. They are called writings. They are called commandments. They are called statutes. They are called decrees. But as I studied the, each individual word, the word law has to do with commandments. The word statutes has to do with establishments. The word decree means a binding obligation. And the word writing means a legal form or document. But no matter what the word was that referred to mandates or laws, it had this one idea. It meant to press... It meant to form. It meant to bring under control. And as I looked at those words, I realized that when this old world cannot persuade you, then it will begin to pressure you. It will begin to 
try to bring you into the form of which it desires you to be in. To constrain you, to alter you, to bind you. And, and the word that sums it all up is to press you. This world is interested in pressing you into its image, into what it wants you to be. Pressing you. And this is exactly what's happening in Daniel's life. They have come together with the laws and the decrees. They are bringing stress, uh, constraint, and uh, pressure upon Daniel as a result of the passing of these regulations and of these laws. But I want you to notice how that these laws actually did that were passed on Daniel's account, they actually did form him. They did, I'm thinking of the word, they did press him. They, they did mold him. But not into the image that they wanted. It was entirely different. And here is where I want you to see that even in the pressures and in the stresses of life, Christ can be in the midst of it. You say, well, preacher, where in the world do you see Jesus in all this pressing and all of these laws and all these regulations that are coming upon Daniel? Well, it's very simple. You know, uh, who was it? Uh, Gutenberg that come up with the first printing press in the 1500s. And if you took any printing when you was in school, of course, you know, basic what that is is setting the type, the letters. And they have this uh, metal plate of which these letters are pressed. That's the idea. It's pressed. It's the word that we have in here that they're interested in. They said, make a writing in verse 9. We need a writing. Sign the writing in verse number 10. He, he did. He, he signed the writing. And Daniel knew that the writing in verse 10 was signed. There was something being pressed as, uh, as the printing press. You would take those letters. They would come over on that piece of metal. And they would form these letters on that. And then, of course, the paper was run across that and it was pressed into the paper. And that's where we got our first books from. It was a pressing, a writing upon these pieces of paper. And here is what they're doing with Daniel. They're saying, oh, king... Take your, key, take your pen, take your quill and get that ink and press against that paper. And form an image of writing that will determine the outcome of Daniel. That's what this world thinks it's doing with your life and with my life. Constantly aggravating, constantly pressing constantly pushing against our lives through the circumstances that we go through. <laughs> but again I say, you ask, where in the world is Jesus in that? Look at them. The king gets out his pen. He dips it 
And then he begins to write the decree. <laughs> no man in my kingdom shall pray Excuse me. to any God except the king for 30 days or he's going to be cast into the den of lions You know what them fellas all around there is thinking while the quill is being pressed and the law was being made? They're thinking of the outcome of Daniel. There won't be much left of him by tomorrow morning, I'll tell you that. We've got this thing so rigged, he'll be over with. He'll be forgotten. He'll be a bygone. They probably won't even be any bones left. By the time that the lions get done with him, because of the pressing, because of the pressure, because of the strain and the force of the law and the writing against him. But did you notice what they did to Daniel? Have you seen it in our text? Did you see Jesus in there anywhere? Can I show it to you? I want you to see it. In our text, these very men that were writing these laws were rulers in Daniel's day who conspired to have and they plotted and connived and planned to have Daniel slain. Right. it. Here we go. Can you think of anybody else in the Bible that rulers came together and they connived and they conspired and they plotted and they planned to have him killed? Who was it? (laughs) They pressed and they pressed on that writing. But as they began to write... Little did they know that they was, it's kind of like Play-Doh. And that little old mold where you put the, the dough ain't got much form, but you put it in there and then you press something against it and it pops out on the other side like the form. And they're putting the pressure on the piece of paper. They're putting the vice down. And while they're putting the vice down, while they're pressing against, I'm looking at Daniel and I'm saying... I declare he's looking more like Jesus. Yeah, right. Amen. (laughs) And they write a little more on their law. And you know what they said about Daniel? We've searched him out and we can't find no fault against him. Can you think of anybody else in the scripture the Bible said, I find no fault in him? Yes, amen. If y'all don't quit writing, you're going to make Daniel look just like Jesus. You say, well, where's Jesus at in all this pressure? All this straining? 
all this force, all this stress. He's in Daniel. <laughs> He's going to pop out on the other side. Notice it. In Daniel's case, he is being, he is being judged as a result of a law. Isn't that not true? Can you think of anybody else that the law judged and put on a cross? You say, why was he up there on that cross? The Bible said Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Jesus died because of the law. He's looking more like Jesus every time, man. Daniel precedes his persecution and his being thrown into the lions with a season of prayer. He goes back and opens the windows and he prays. <laughs> Can you think of somebody else that had a season of prayer before he was judged? He went into the garden alone and there prayed and interceded for you and I. Daniel? I declare, boy, is that you? Or is that? I thought I saw Jesus there for a minute. I just looking at him. In chapter number six, the Bible said in verse number 16, they, can't, they commanded, brought Daniel, cast him into the den of lions. And verse 17, they brought a stone and laid it on the mouth of it. Woo! I'm getting excited. I don't know if you can see this or not. But all because of a law and all because of the pressing upon the paper and all because of, the, of what these men were doing and the stress and the strain, all because of the force of this old world. Daniel's looking more like Jesus every day. Amen. Do you know anybody else in Scripture in which they threw him into a cave and they rolled a stone over the mouth of it? <laughs> Do you? Wow. I notice that when Daniel is cast down into this den, he faces lions. Psalm 22 and verse 21 tells us that Jesus faced the lions of this old world in his death. Amen. Satan as a roaring lion. I notice that Daniel in his experience of persecution and being pressed by some law being pressured by some legal writing fulfilled his law did you notice that they said this is a law that cannot be altered or changed right and I'm here to tell you, Daniel didn't alter it and he didn't change it. You're right. Amen. 
He did. They put him through everything the law said he was supposed to go through. But it wasn't his fault the lions wasn't hungry. Huh? Yeah. He said they were satisfied. Huh? You talking? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. The law was already satisfied when he hit the bottom. Right. Them old lions said, "We ain't hungry, boys." Just lay around. Come on over here and lay on us. Old Daniel's having, I mean, he's laying down there using them as a pillar. They're satisfied. (laughs) So, well, boys, we did everything we could do. We put him down there under the law, fed him to the lions, and they wouldn't eat him. Right. And I tell you, Jesus never did away with the law. Right. Right. He fulfilled the law. For your sake and for my sake. And I notice that in Daniel chapter number 6, verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius. I notice that he is elevated in the land to the highest post. (laughs) Can you think of anybody else that after they suffered and after the stone was rolled over the mouth and after they came out that they were given a name that was above every name in God's kingdom? Somebody said, preacher, why is God letting me go through what I'm going through? Why am I under all these forces and and these elements that press against me and and cause me to suffer? Why am I facing why I'm facing? Because God is molding you and conforming you into the image of his son in this world. Amen. Amen. And the more he does it, the more like Jesus you look. And we've been predestinated to be conformed into his image. I'll tell you, when old Daniel first got over there in Babylon among the Medes and Persians, he's a good old boy. He was, quote, a Christian. He was the kind of fellow you could trust. I believe he loved the Lord. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, by the time we get to chapter number six, it ain't a matter that he loves the Lord. He looks like right. the Lord. Yes, Amen. Amen. <laughs> sure. Yes. Praise God. Amen. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. One of God's children that you know goes through some great trauma in this old world. Absolutely. Down the road, you get to listen to him talk. I was, I've, done that, I've done that several times this week. I was in a man's living room a couple of weeks ago. And boy, I'm going to tell you, in his 70s, and boy, he got to talking. And you, <clears throat> Did you ever get around somebody that you thought you knew him, but you really don't know if you did know him or not? And so you're just really looking at him strong before you walked up and said, hey, don't I know you? Yeah. You give him this kind of look. You go... Amen. Now, you don't want them to know you're looking, but you're looking <laughs> at a distance. Let me look from the back. <laughs> Are you Jack Thrift? Amen. I thought I yeah. recognized you. <laughs> Amen. 
I've been around some folks that have been through the pressures and the heartaches of life and I'll tell the pressings of this old world and it's amazing. I go... to say anything but I I declare is that Jesus I'm seeing in there <laughs> right. I stand beside somebody talking just here a while back and they got to talking and I thought sound like Jesus amen oh the best this old world can do to you And God uses this old world to make us in the image yes, of the Son. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's the pressing on us. Amen. Is that you, Daniel? Sorry, I just I, I, I thought you were somebody else for a minute. Yeah, right. I st- well, never mind. I guess. I uh, I began this week, and let me let me close. I'm fixing the close. I began this week asking you, how much? Oh, I said it this way. If Jesus is in Babylon, you reckon he could be anywhere in your world? And let me word it this way. I I guess this is the way I've I've been meaning to say it is, how much of Jesus have you seen in your Babylon lately? But here I want to look at the other side of it, which I believe is the real intent of Daniel being in Babylon. I'm going to go a step higher than how much of Jesus... Have you seen in your Babylon? I want to go a step higher. I want to ask you this. Yes. How much of Jesus has Babylon seen in you? Right. <laughs> Good. Good. That's why he's got you here. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Jesus is wanting to show up in you and through you. I realize that's so much of it we don't like, but God has His ways of forming His Son in us. Write that old law. Press it out. And Daniel's looking like Jesus more every day. I used to, when I pastored, Esther and I, we we did uh, what we called interior decorating. Actually, all we did was paint and hang wallpaper, but you'd make more money if you put a name on it, so interior decorating. <laughs> I can remember early on when first years ago I uh, started doing that. I I went down to get a gallon of paint mixed, and you know how that is. So many times when you need, your wife wants a certain color in the room, most of the time it's not pre-mixed. you got to go down there and pick up a chart and take it back home and let her pick out what she wants, and then you go back. 
And I can remember on that early occasions, and I thought about it every time that I had some paint mixed, but you'll take that paint, that gallon of paint, you'll take it up there and, and you'll show him on the chart what color you want. You say, I want this color right here. And he'll take it over there and he'll slide it under this spindle that has old 12, 15 cylinders on it. And you know what color you want for that bedroom and he'll spin that thing around there and you watch him if he don't stop at black almost every time. My name ain't what it is. And he'll adjust that thing and he'll spit black in there and you're standing over there. And if you don't know nothing about mixing colors, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not taking that home. Yeah, right. Boy, if I take that black home, my wife is going to be mad. She don't want the room black. And then he'll spin her around there, and I've seen him do it. He'll stop at a real bright yellow, and he'll squirt that yellow in there, and you're thinking, my goodness, I just can't imagine what black and yellow's going to look like. And then he'll throw around there again, and he'll stop at a real bright red, and he'll spit that in there. What he'll do is he'll put all them colors in there that you don't want a thing on earth to do with. Take it out of there, and you'll get him a rubber mallet, and he'll beat around the top of that thing. And he'll take her over there. He acts like he knows what he's doing. You're thinking, who is this weirdo? He slides her in a shaker, pushes a button. That thing goes to shaking that paint. And in a little bit, he'll get it out and he'll get him a little old stir stick, put it on top of it, bring it over and set it in front of you and say, well, here you go. And he'll just smile. Can I help you with anything else? And you'll look at him and say, Sir, if you don't mind, um, could you take the lid off that thing? I want to check it with this chart right here. <laughs> You're thinking, he's missed it by a million miles and I'm not going to pay for it. And he'll take the lid off of that thing and what he'll do is he'll put a little bit on that stir stick and then he'll get him a blow dry. You ever had him do it? And he'll blow it dry. Now if he's done his job right, and I've had it done hundreds of times right, he'll hold it up to that sample and it'll be just exactly what you wanted. He will have taken all those colors that you didn't want anything to do with. He'll put it in that bucket, shake it up and to your amazement, he'll bring out exactly what you wanted. I thought about that one day as I was watching a fellow stir some paint and I thought, you know, isn't that like the Christian life? Yes. We started out with our ideas and, and uh, our thoughts on how life was going to be since we were saved. We knew what we wanted to do for the Lord and what we wanted the Lord to do for us. And the first thing he did is he, he squirted some dark colors in our lives. God, <laughs> oh, I didn't get saved for this. Right. Right. What is that about? You didn't warn me of that. I thought... I. And he, don't, he acts like he knows what he's doing. And then he'll spin you around and squirt some other color in there. It's way off the wall. And he'll say, God, do you see what's happening to me? How's this going to turn out? And then he'll spin you around as if he just doesn't mind and he'll squirt something else in there. And by that time, you're at wit's end saying, God, I just don't know if you know what you're doing. Then he'll put the lid on you and hand you to the Holy Ghost. That's right. 
<laughs> and when the angel, the Holy Ghost, it goes, it's turning and I shaking. Oh, God, I'll never come out of this. Oh, Lord, please, what's happening to my life? I'm, I'm a spinning out of control. I'll never come out of this. But one of these days in glory, yes. out of all those colors that you don't want, Amen. God's going to take his big opener yes. and open it up. And you're going to look just like Jesus. So I never thought that would come out of that. I never imagined that. I mean, I never thought no law would make me like Jesus. I never thought no lines would... I never thought spending the night in a cave would make me like... I never thought rolling a stone over my in darkness would make me... I just never thought somebody lying on me would make me like... I just never thought all that would make me like Jesus. Right. But it did. <laughs> How much of Jesus does Babylon see in you? The only way they're going to see it, he's going to have to put you through the pressing, the forcing, the molding, the suffering. Did I tell you Jesus was in Babylon?